In the holy name of Jesus, amen. We often have been brought up in our country and in our communities with this ingrained mentality of us versus them. I love the fact that Major League Baseball is actually going to play this year because I am going to root for my Brewers and you will root for your Cardinals, at least most of you. And it becomes an us versus them mentality. We can break these things down into every sort of facet of life. The NCAA tournament is about ready to start for basketball. Many people will be rooting for one particular team versus all of the other teams in the bracket. But we can also see this in more serious things. Our country is severely divided and not unified today. Our world is severely divided and not unified today. Have you noticed that it takes something like a war happening in Ukraine with Russia to actually unite people? Now people are putting outside of their house Ukrainian flags. People are saying, we're all Ukrainians right here, right now. All of a sudden, a country that most people did not know much about has unified a lot of people, and it's all because there has been war and destruction and chaos. We have experienced division and us versus them mentality even in our own country. Let's just figure out the various ways and we can make a huge list. We've divided ourselves because of our race. We've divided ourselves because of our, our political standings, what party we like. We've divided ourselves even in the church with our various denominations. This is what sin does. Sin unites us so that we can be divided against each other. What about this place? Where have we seen true unity and where have we seen division? There's a lot of different ways and means by which we could look at that as well. We can come in here today in the context of a Sunday service and say, well, we're all here today being good Christian folk listening and praying to God and giving our offering and going to communion. And sometimes, and in many ways, we can have this mentality of a us versus them out there. We're not like those people out there who do those things that God does not want us to do, even though if you were to look in my mind and in my heart, you would say, but you're living just like them out there, Pastor. And you have done the same thing as well. Who belongs in this place today? Who belongs sitting in your pew, in your seat? Who are you comfortable with having sitting next to you? And who do you look at with great alarm and maybe mistrust? This is nothing new for the church. In fact, it even happens in the context with Jesus' disciples today. Jesus is walking along with his inner circle, his disciples, and along comes a Canaanite woman. Her, her daughter is oppressed by a demon. And this Canaanite woman comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is afflicted by a demon. Now for us, we would look at this and say, hey, that's a good thing. 
Yeah, we don't like demon possession. We don't like the fact that people encounter this. Or maybe even we don't even believe in things like demon possession today, which is very real and in very, very ways, many ways today very much alive. But I digress. We look at this on the surface and say, what's the big deal? Well, this woman was a Canaanite woman. She is not of the house of Israel. In Jesus' day and age, if you were not part of the house of Israel, you didn't mingle with the Canaanites. The Canaanites were not considered even people. They were considered half-breeds to the Israelites. And so to encounter a Canaanite woman is not to say that it's just another woman off the street. This is somebody that everybody stops, their heckles go up, and they say, get this person out of here. This person makes me uncomfortable. This person's annoying. We have nothing in common with this person. This woman comes to Jesus and simply says, David's son, you Jesus, King Jesus, have mercy on me. My daughter is severely oppressed by the demon. The disciples were very open in terms of who they thought would have access to Jesus. There were some people who were just not really worth Jesus' time in their minds. The little children, the Gentiles. I mean, really, who's got time for kids and Gentiles, right? And so they would shoo these people away from Jesus, even telling Jesus today, hey, do something about this lady She's bothering us. Get her away. She's icky. She's gross. We have nothing to do with her. We might catch some of her half-breed nature. She comes to him, and she says this marvelous prayer by faith. Eleazon me cure in the Greek. That makes me look fancy and smart today. But it actually is what you stated today over and over. Lord, have mercy. What does it mean to have mercy? My brother and I used to play a game growing up called mercy. <laughs> Why are you laughing? You know what that game's about? He would twist my arm behind my back and it was how much pain and affliction can I take before I put my hand down and said, mercy. And in our case, we would say, I didn't hear you. <laughs> say it louder. Have mercy, mercy. I'm in pain. You're going to break my arm. Don't play this game. That is what it means to have mercy. Mercy is what God gives to us all the time. But mercy is what is direly needed when we are suffering, when we are afflicted, when we're in pain, when we're asking all the questions about what is going on in the world. God has every right to look at you and to me and our sins and say, I'm not going to show you mercy. You don't deserve my mercy. You don't even want my mercy. Look at how you treat one another. Look at how you treat me, God says. I don't need to give you my mercy. Who says that you're deserving of it? and myself including. But this lady is bold. She's bolder than any, gent any, any Jewish person who's following Jesus, any disciple. She is bold to say, Lord, have mercy on me. 
In fact, with your service here today, you'll notice that all of the phrases where we sing, Lord, have mercy, we've referenced this passage today in the scriptures. And so we sing and say with her, have mercy. We are in a sense saying, you are Lord and I am not. You can help me because I cannot help myself. But how does Jesus respond? This text is actually very offensive for a lot of people today because you'll notice what Jesus does. Jesus, in a sense, begins to test this woman, but more so he begins to test the disciples. The disciples hear this woman come to Jesus and say, Lord, have mercy on me, son of David, Please heal my daughter. And they say, get her away. She's icky. She's ooey. Just get her away. And Jesus, after her first plea for mercy, is silent. Does it ever seem like God has been silent to your prayers? Absolutely, yes. But does this stop the woman? No, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And you'll notice that it even becomes a physical thing. She gets down into the dust of the dirt and the dirt and she kneels down before Jesus. This is a sign of absolute submission to whatever Jesus would have her do. And Jesus looks at her and then he looks at the disciples and he says, I have only come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You can almost see the disciples fist bumping each other. Yeah, Jesus is only for the Israelites. Jesus is only for us. This lady is scum. She's a half-breed. She doesn't deserve what you have come to give, Jesus. And Jesus, in a sense, is acting very much like them. This is what causes offense. What kind of God are you to say that you're not coming for everybody, just the Jews? But that was the mentality. Does this stop the lady? No. She says, Lord, please help. And you would think by this time being in the, by being in the dirt, groveling before Jesus, Jesus would somehow miraculously as in some sort of pageant about the Christian faith, he would look at her and say, your faith has healed you. But he goes even further. And he says, it's not right to take the bread of the children and feed it to the dogs. Uh-oh. Jesus has become all of a sudden politically incorrect. He calls this woman a dog? we got to take this out. What's the matter with Jesus? Doesn't he understand what he's saying? Doesn't he understand how offensive this truly is? And it is. You'll notice this lady doesn't look at Jesus and say, who the heck are you? How dare you call this to me? I'll go find healing from someplace else. She acknowledges who she is before Jesus. She's not worthy of being in his presence. But this is where our English language fails us in a lot of ways. We have one word, particularly in the English language, for dog. It's dog. (laughs) 
A dog could mean any kind of animal that you would consider a dog. A dog that is in your house, a dog that is out in the woods and wild, a dog that is astray in some sort of back alley, a dog with rabies, a dog that you would actually allow into your bed. But in the Greek language, there are multiple types of dogs. There is the dog that the scriptures speak about where Lazarus is sitting on the roadside in the dust and the dirt, covered in sores, and the dogs come along and lick his sores. Those are called kuan, which are the wild dogs, or the alley dogs, or the feral dogs. But yet Jesus today says it is not right to give the bread of the children to the kunarion. Makes me sound even smarter, doesn't it? The Coonerion is the family dog, the lap dog. You know, the little frou-frou dog that you have in your lap that you feed it with the table food, or the dogs that sit next to your table like my dogs do at our house at every meal who watch the food wherever it goes, and the minute that some food drops under the table, there is a fight over who's going to get the food. Jesus is talking about the family pet the family dog. If you've been to a place that has a lot of stray dogs, you know that no one really cares about them. They run to and fro and they fend for themselves. No one cares and sometimes they're killed because nobody will take care of them. Jesus knows what he's talking about here today, but he's not calling her some sort of wild dog. The Canaanite woman who's rejected by the disciples, by the people of Israel, this lady who we're divided from because she is some sort of outsider, because she's not a child of Abraham by blood, not at all. She is the one who is at odds with Jesus. And truth be told, you and I are today. If this is all about our blood lineage or what nationality we are all about. He does not refer to her as a stray dog, but affectionately as a house dog. And I know some of you today would be like, still, this is offensive, Jesus. How dare you call her something like that? But he's talking about this in a sense that she is a member and a part of the family. Think about it with those of you who have dogs. I was just told by one of our members recently, who is a vet, that 80% of our nation's population has some sort of pet. Think about what you do for your dogs. There are people who have seat belts and life vests for their dogs. There are people who have strollers that they put their dogs in. We will spend thousands and thousands of dollars on dishes, on fences, on all sorts of things to take care of our pets, our dogs. Do they earn a living? No. Do they pay rent? No. Do they cook food? No. In fact, ours like to take the food that we are trying to cook. Do they get the groceries every once in a while? No. Do they destroy furniture? Yes. Do they make a mess of things? Yes. And yet you would do anything for them, wouldn't you? Does it make any sense? No. Does it even make sense financially? No. But there they are, 
your pets. And as Luther likes to say, if we could only have the faith of a dog. I taught this to my kids, and I've taught this to the confirmands. If you sit down at the dinner table or wherever it is, and you have a dog and you are eating, take that whatever it is that you're eating, that sandwich or that fork full of food, and put it in front of the dog and move it back and forth. You will see that the dog will follow it wherever you take it. He or she will not take their eyes off the prize, off the food. And Luther looks at that. He's using like a a steak bone when he's talking to his students. And he says, look at how this dog goes around everywhere. It sees, it doesn't see anything else happening around it. If we could only have this kind of faith. But we don't. There are those who are outside of us who may have a stronger and more firm faith than we do, and yet at times we are not willing or wanting to allow them into this place. We should repent of that, and we should acknowledge that amidst all of the divisions and the us-versus-them mentality, Jesus has still come for us and for our salvation. Jesus comes in the midst of our gigantic messes that we have made in our society, our country, and even in this world. He has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And I would dare say what he's actually trying to do today is to teach his disciples, who are the ones that are not getting this, that this woman has this great an amazing faith. She's not an Israelite. She comes as an outsider. She comes as a Gentile. I can throw and act all sorts of ways to ignore her or even insult her, and she begs all the more, all the more, Lord, have mercy. And you'll notice what else it is that she does today. She's not even looking for something for herself. She's praying on behalf of her daughter. Who are you willing to pray for? We have a list in our bulletin. Some might say, we name these names every week. They've asked for our prayers. Paul tells us in Timothy that you're to pray for your leaders. Well, we don't think our leaders know what's right or what's going on for right now. You need to pray for them because of that. And when others look to you and say, hey, would you please pray for me? Don't ever look at it as, well, I don't know what to say or I don't know how to respond to this. Or doesn't God already know what they need? I'll just leave it up into his care. No. Sometimes people get so wound up, so caught up into the stresses and the cares and the fears of this world that they themselves are not able to pray to the Lord. They themselves are not able to speak to God. And so when they ask you to speak to God on their behalf. This is a holy and devout thing to do. It's one of the greatest disciplines that we can have as Christians is to pray for others. To speak to God on behalf of others, just as this woman did for her daughter that was possessed by a demon. She's possessed by a demon. She doesn't know how to speak to God, so this woman does this on behalf of her daughter. Do you notice how the disciples pray for her? Send her away. Get her away. 
This should catch us. This should warn us. If we are not praying for this country, if we are not praying for our community, if we are not praying for this church and everyone in here, then who is? And it doesn't matter how eloquent your words are or how lengthy they are. In fact, Luther even says when it comes to prayer, the less the words, the better. And as one of our youngsters showed us here today, rightly so, what are you going to pray on behalf of others? Lord, have mercy. Why? Because our back is against the wall. We are in pain. We are in suffering. We are to the point where we can't take it anymore. Please show us some mercy. This is why we have the season of Lent. To take a stop in the life that we live, to take a time where we pause, and we do intensify our life of prayer. And at times it is a wrestling match with God. Why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you responding the way that we have talked about? We've been praying for years and years and years. And yet, like that woman, no matter what she faced, she continued on. Lord, help, please. This isn't about who's praying for you or what to pray. It's about acknowledging that God alone is the one who can handle and take care of these things. This woman doesn't bargain with Jesus. She doesn't say, look, you're God. You need to take care of this problem with my daughter. She has nowhere else to go. She can only see Jesus. What's the one thing that you can do to make your dog happy? You go home today and you say their name. Ours will topple over furniture, kick down doors if you call them by name because they have heard their master say their name and what is it that we are about to do? Could we possibly be fed with something we normally don't get? Jesus has called you by name in your baptism. You are no, now no longer just an outsider. You are part of the family of God. You are his beloved children. And today, as he calls you by name to pray for others and to pray for this place and for the world, you do not come today simply to receive crumbs from the master's table. You receive the feast of forgiveness, life, and salvation. As the master himself has laid down his life for you, his family members, he is the one who comes to you this day and sets a table before you in the presence of your enemies so that you may be filled up, that you may be filled to the brim and overflowing with his love and his mercy, and that you might be strengthened in the faith that would be active and living, praying on behalf of others, praying for this world, giving all of our sins, all of our cares, all of our fears to Jesus, who says that he wants them, crying out, yes, Lord, have mercy. For so long, 
There have been so many people who have said that Jesus is simply being rude to this woman. I don't think that's the case. He loves this woman and cares for her even though she was born at the wrong place and at the wrong time. There are others who will and can be brought into this place where we can show them the mercy and the love and the light of Christ. May our Lord and Savior move us and strengthen us to do the same for those outside of this, that they too may be called the children of God and receive his joy, even if they seem like the greatest of outcasts. There are those who are looking for the master to come and to feed them and to receive them into his kingdom just as you have and I have, so that it is not this mentality of us versus them, but we who are the family and the people of God. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.